0: Today's episode is brought to you by the Best Year Ever Blueprint live experience. And if you are not familiar with the Best Year Ever Blueprint, that is one live event, the only live event that I have ever put on that I put on every year with my good friend John Berghoff. And it is happening this December 13th through 15th in San Diego, California. We do it every December, every year. Uh, This will be our sixth one, I believe. And it really is unlike any event you've ever been to. And go to the website and get details, watch videos. And grab your tickets. BestYearEverLive.com is the site. Again, BestYearEverLive, dot com is the website. And check it out. It really, unlike any other event, most events that I've been to, I listen to speakers and I take notes. And while there's value in that, I believe that the value ultimately is not in what you learn, but it's in what you live. And that's what we do differently at Best Year Ever Live is rather than you just learning a bunch of stuff that you could you know, find in a book or on the internet or on this podcast, right? It's about what you experience. It's helping you tap into your greatest strengths, your deepest inner wisdom, and then get really clear not only on what you want, but what's holding you back. And then real time while you're there, having a group of 400 plus like-minded members of our community that are being led through the same process that you're led through to facilitate Rapid growth and transformation so that when you leave the event, you literally are a different person. You are a better version of who you were when you arrived. So, most events you go, you get a bunch of information, and you leave kind of the same as you were when you arrived, but with a lot more information, like 10 pages of notes. Our event is very different. It's designed for you to experience that transformation and seeing what the better version, the best version of yourself looks like and experiencing that version of you while you're there so that when you leave, you don't just know what you need to do to create the best year of your life, but you literally have emerged. You've tapped into the best version of yourself that is capable of creating that life. So again, I think the words I just said, don't do it justice, but if you go to bestyoureverlive.com, there are still some tickets left and you're going to hear about the event between now and December. I mean it is, you know, we just opened up ticket sales a few weeks ago and uh, I think we have 280 or 330. I actually don't know the number, but we've got quite a few hundred tickets already sold and there's still some left. So, hopefully you can join me and John Burgoff and uh, our community in San Diego in December. Goal Achievers. Hey, it's Al Elrod and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast and uh I hope you're having a good day. hope you're having a great day. hope you're enjoying every moment because I do believe that is largely what life is about, to find the joy, the love in every moment. And today, that's really not a tie-in to the conversation I'm going to have today, but it was on my heart. So I thought I'd share it with you. And today, I'm actually going to talk to someone who I am a big fan of. And I have been ever since I read, I believe it's his first book, years back. And my guest today is MJ DeMarco and MJ is a semi retired entrepreneur. He's an investor. He is a self made multimillionaire and international best selling author whose books have been translated in over 15 languages worldwide. And I can tell you as an author who has foreign translations of their book, it's a really a trip to think that folks that don't even speak the same language as you, right? Fellow human beings in other parts of the world. Are reading and being impacted by your work, and MJ is changing lives around the world. And he's currently the founder of the Fastlane Forum, which is a global business community featuring nearly 40,000 entrepreneurs and over 500,000 contributions. It's kind of like the Miracle Morning community, but for entrepreneurs specifically. And prior to embarking into the world of writing and authorship, he was the former startup founder and CEO of Limos.com which he successfully built and grew into a profitable multi-million dollar company. And he did that all with no money, no formal training, and with just a few employees. And as I mentioned, he's the author of one of my favorite financial books of all time, The Millionaire Fastlane. But he's here today to talk with us. I'll ask him a little about The Millionaire Fastlane, but really to talk about his new book, Unscripted, Life Liberty and the pursuit of entrepreneurship, which she was gracious enough to send me a copy that I hold into my hands. And I've just recently began reading it and I'm absolutely loving it. MJ, how are you, my friend?
1: Good, Al. How
0: are you doing? I'm doing well. Before we started recording, I went, Have we, is this the first time we're officially talking to each other? And no,
1: we've been communicating, communicating for communicating. years.
0: That's a great point. That's why it felt weird. I go, I, yeah, the well, first time we've actually been voice to voice, face to face, you know? Yes. Yeah, man. But yeah, we have been communicating for years. And uh, I was turned on to your book and became a huge fan. And then all of a sudden, a Google search one day, I I, I get little Google alerts and it said, uh, it was your Fastlane forum. You had written about the Miracle Morning. And I was like, you know, Mm -hmm. jaw to the floor, dumbfounded that one of my favorite authors had read my book and was recommending it to your community, man. So um, yeah, thank you for that.
1: You bet. No problem. It's a great book.
0: So... I talked, introducing you about how you started out as an entrepreneur before you became an author. And I wanted to know, other than what I've read about you and read in your work, we don't know each other personally yet, but I'm excited by the end of this interview to know each other a little better. Mm -hmm. You were becoming an entrepreneur. Did that start with limos.com or does it go back further than that?
1: No, it goes back further than that. Um, Unfortunately, all those going back goes back to failure. Um, Mm. I... I knew I was wanted to be an entrepreneur very young. Um, but I did take a little detour which into something called college. <laughs> and uh, after I graduated college, um, I did not interview for jobs, which made me look like an idiot to all my peers who were graduating. And I always said that, you know what, I'm going to start a business. Uh, so I waffled around for a good uh, I'd say about three, four years, uh, starting various ventures, and just really never getting any traction uh, on those ventures. And um, looking back, I look at that time and I realize, you know, just so many mistakes I was making, and just so many uh, mental, mental things that were causing uh, my failures. One of them being, which is actually quite a popular thing nowadays, is the old "follow your passion" Mm. platitude, Um, and that's. Pretty much the first three four years after I graduated college, that's what I was doing. I was following passion. And Unfortunately, the market don't care about your passion. If they don't want what you have to offer, they're not going to buy it. And I couldn't uh, pay my bills with passion, so I actually started looking at uh, the market as more of an entity that needed to be, uh, you know, uh, th- that had needs that uh, I could fill and solve. And that's once I went off in that direction, uh, everything pretty much fell into place.
0: So I like that you addressed that. And by the way, you reminded me... I mean, I haven't read Millionaire Fastlane in quite a few years, but you just reminded me what was so special about that book or one of the aspects and what you know made it catch on. How many... Do you mind sharing how many copies you've sold about, by the way?
1: You know, I have never counted. It's in its probably 26th printing. Oh, wow. Um, and it's usually five ten thousand 10,000 books a print. Um, that's not including digital copies. That's not including... So, I, if I would guess, it would probably be around a million.
0: Maybe, yeah,
1: maybe nine hundred million one, something like that. And was that
0: uh, you know you own Viperian Publishing? Yes, that, would that be a self considered a self published book, and that you publish yes, your
1: absolutely. Company? And that's one of the things. Um, it's a self published book. Um, no. I have had. I did not hire any book promoters. I did not have a publicist. I um, mean, it's interesting because you mentioned earlier, it is easier to find my book in a Paris. Bookstore or <laughs> Bangkok or Seoul, Korea, than it is to find it in the United States, and that to me as an author is a little bit frustrating because my book is a lot more popular in foreign countries than it is actually here, and that's namely because I never I, I believe in owning and controlling you know my my company. And you're so def- I didn't want to I didn't want to sell it to a publishing company and you know get three percent royalty or whatever you know insanity they're offering.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's one thing you and I share in common is both self-published authors. And and I have to ask you, for the other 15 countries and languages that you're published in, are you self-published or are you traditionally published in those countries?
1: No, they're they're traditionally published, which is why they're easier to find in the bookstores. Got it. Um, And I I actually only sell licenses to publishers with experience in the market, just to give your listeners a good uh, domain experience lesson that I've encountered and never sell a license to someone who just wants to translate your book yeah. because they're excited about it. No, I've learned my lesson. I've had fi- five failed licenses yeah. uh, by, by doing that. So um, no, if you're a publisher, you have books in the market, we can talk.
0: Yeah. And I can echo that. Miracle Morning is self-published in the United States and then traditionally published in all of the other countries. And it has sold more copies in Brazil. Than it has in the U.S. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's interesting how it resonates some places better than others.
0: Yeah, it's wild, and it's in every bookstore there, whereas it's only in the Amazon physical bookstores here. Oh, I
1: see your book all the time in the bookstores. So you've oh, you have you've had I no problem. Back Barnes
0: and Noble did something with me years ago. I forgot that. I forgot it's at Barnes and Noble. But anyway, um, very cool. So I'd love to go down that. On that topic of kind of, you know, you mentioned that you made the mistake of following your passion and taking that advice, right? We've heard that. Follow your passion. It'll work out. Like eh, it could, but you're kind of rolling the dice. You're making quite a gamble. I like that you said, instead of that, look at what the market needs. Find a problem that you are qualified to solve and then go solve it. And people will pay you to solve that problem. So I wanted to ask you because one of the things I started to say that your book was so special is it was so contrarian. It was like, no, no, no. You've been told this and this is why the majority of people are not as successful, as fulfilled, as happy, as healthy because they listen to the mainstream advice and you really you know, broke that open in a lot of ways. What are other things that entrepreneurs get wrong?
1: They don't understand that everything is driven by relative value. So when someone opens their wallet and gives you money, what they're saying is, hey, you've convinced me that you can deliver something to me in my life, some type of value. And instead, they like to be more inward-focused, self-centered. That's why the follow-your-passion thing never, I won't say never, it just rarely doesn't work because it's inward-focused. And that's notwithstanding that passion is important. Passion comes later when... The market responds in a market, which I call a feedback loop. Yeah. And the market comes back and says, Hey, man, I, hey, hell, I read your book, man, and my life has changed. Well, that's going to give you a lot of passion. Trust me. Yeah. I have an inbox filled with people that say that, uh, their lives have changed. I just had an, a gentleman tell me today that he created a product, a, a, a men's product, that's in uh, going on QVC. It's going in Target and Walmart. And he's got a multi million dollar company now. And he said, "Thank you so much." Well, don't you think that's going to make me feel a little bit passionate? <laughs> so, passion is a very important part of it. But ultimately, you have to deliver value into the marketplace, um, see what the market is reflecting back to you, uh, and then adjust from there. And then I don't, I won't do anything unless it's what what I call a productocracy. Uh, this is in the this is an unscripted, uh, hmm. not not talked about in fast lane, but a productocracy is. Is, does your product sell without ad, without advertising? Are people recommending it on Facebook? Are they recommending it on Instagram? Are people contacting you out of the blue to see how awesome your product is? That's a productocracy. And if you don't have a productocracy, usually what you're really doing then is having a marketing company. So when the marketing stops,
0: mm, what's your company? That's interesting.
1: So, So there's a difference between an entrepreneur who runs a productocracy, your books would be an example, people sharing them, people recommending them, and having a marketing company, meaning when Hal stops advertising the Miracle Morning, so does his sales. See, that's a marketing company. There's a difference. And um, it's no sense to be an entrepreneur unless you're actually diving into getting one of these, these productocracies. Otherwise... You're just a run-of-the-mill marketer. And that's not, not what entrepreneurship is about.
0: That is such a great point. Yeah. I love that you're sharing what I think that... Well, not only most people don't realize that such a unique distinction that you're really... you know If you're running a business that requires you to be marketing your product in order for it to sell, you're running a marketing company, marketing right. business. Because it doesn't matter how great the product is. If it was really that great, it would be marketed via word of mouth. Which your book—that's how it became huge. That's how my book became a success yep. and reached a lot of people. How do you create a productocracy? How do you be intentional about creating that word-of-mouth phenomenon sure. in a product?
1: Sure, it all comes down to what I call value skew. And again, this isn't unscripted; it's not in millionaire fast lane. A value skew is something that compels a user to give you money. It's different for everyone, so it's very—it's I don't want to say it's complicated, but it's a—it's a very expansive concept. Um, because like I said, when someone gives you money, there's a reason why that they give you money. There's a threshold that you that you exceed. So just to give you one of the examples I use, um, I don't know if it's in my book or I used it somewhere else, but it was just a simple bag of tortilla chips. Well, you look at the label. Uh, if the label is pleasing, you might buy it. If you look at the, maybe the price is cheaper than the rest, so you buy it. Maybe the package says, biodegradable packing, okay, well, that might be a reason for someone to buy. Um, and in my case, I bought, I was looking, I mean, this is a true story. I was looking, it was in the grocery aisle, looking at two packages of tortilla chips. Uh, one was slightly more expensive, but I chose the one that simply said non-GMO corn. Hmm. That's a value skew. So what happens is what you want to do is you want to reverse engineer your, uh, your, your industry that you're in and anywhere you can skew value better than the competition, you have a value skew, which means it might compel someone to buy over buy from you over your competitor. So that could be customer service. And most people, a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately default to price. Hey, I'm going to be the best priced. Well, that's not that's the main value skew, but there are so many others. Uh, you know, customer service, product ingredients, product. Um, You know, like for instance, I won't buy any workout products, workout -workout, pre-workout, protein powders, whatnot, that have sucralose in it. Mm. I see sucralose on the ingredient label. Goodbye. Yeah, me too. Uh, Artificial colors, same thing. Oh, goodbye. So those are value skews. So the more the more skewing of value, they're called value attributes. The more value attributes you skew, the more horses you have in the race to win a product to win a sale and then to win a productocracy. So once you do, is once you start accumulating those, the productocracy comes in, into shape. And when people start messaging you, hey, your product is awesome. I told my friend about it. Uh, they reorder. Maybe they don't say anything, but they reorder. Those are called gravitons. That's reflecting that you have a productocracy in the works. And that's something you can pursue hard. If I don't have that, I stop.
0: So if I'm trying to use my language that for me, that I resonate with, would you say that a value skew, and obviously it sounds like you're to have more than one, that would be a compelling or an irresistible benefit. And therefore, people will continue to order and talk about your product. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Like in, in old marketing speak, uh, your primary value skew would be your unique selling proposition.
0: Ah, got it. Your USP. Okay. Got it. Interesting. So... I want to talk about the new book. That's where I want to spend the bulk of our time. But I want first, if anybody were new to your work, new to you, new to your books, in short, what would you say the millionaire fast lane will do for people? And then we'll talk about obviously go in more depth on unscripted. But before we get into unscripted, I really want to go, okay, well, hey, because millionaire fast lane was for me... I'll say what it did for me and then you, you say what it did. Actually, <laughs> you go first. Share what you think it would do and then I would all, all echo that by sharing how it has impacted me.
1: Sure, The Millionaire Fast Lane and is basically trying to show you that, and this really ties into my new book as well, hmm. that there's a certain particular narrative that is only acceptable to create wealth. It is just crap it's just garbage. It's a narrative that promotes a particular type of existence, you know, Monday through five. Hey, I'm going to work. I'm going to trade five days of my life so I can get two days here on the weekend. I mean, it's insanity. And then the the insanity of, well, you really need to save all your money, give it to Wall Street, wait 50 years, and then you're going to be rich. Then you can retire, do what you want, have total freedom, And all that is just a bunch of garbage. There's there's a much quicker way to obtain financial freedom, and I'm not talking about this new buzzword that's out there now, which is um, predicated on a 10 year bull market, where where you now rely on Wall Street to provide all your all your income. You know, that's that's insanity. Because if 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 you need to rely on Wall Street to make your house payment or to pay your expenses or pay your living expenses, you're still not financially independent. You're financially dependent. Mm. You just changed your dependence from a job to Wall Street. So this is more of a, um, an exploration of how you can retire. And when I say retire, I don't mean you're you know sitting around playing golf all day. I'm saying you can retire in total freedom, buy what you want to buy, do what you want to do, and live the exact life you want to live with no one including people on Wall Street in the stock market, telling you what you need to do or what you might need to do. That, what is the millionaire fast lane should be able to do for you. And Unscripted, they both tie in very tightly together.
0: I would say that's right on par with what the millionaire fast lane did for me is it it really opened my eyes to the idea that what we've been fed, which is, you know, go to college, get a job, work, save a small percentage of your income, put it into mutual funds, hope that the market doesn't crash again, which it Tends to do pretty frequently and then let that interest compound and then keep working and often at a job that you don't find fulfilling and it drains your energy and you're spending a large chunk of your life there, yeah. right? And then we went heavy into this, which is like, oh, and then, you know, yeah, save, you know, when you're 65, right, when you're at the, the ripe young age of 65, then you actually get to enjoy life, right? Once, yeah. once you know, you're, so to speak, your young years are behind it. It's, and I think that we've been fed that for. I don't know you know right my whole life and I think long before I was around my dad's whole life and his dad's whole life and so on and so forth and what you really taught me is this idea that no you've got to take complete responsibility for your life not just your financial life but for your life and if you're going to live in a, a monetary society which most do right then that's part of your life that you're living and so you've got to set it up in a way where you have freedom to Do what fulfills you, right? If you want to follow your passions, you follow your passions not to make the money, but because you don't have to worry about money. So you can do
1: whatever you want. I love to write and that's my passion. And here's the thing. I don't need people to confirm, give me money to confirm that passion. So I can do it freely. I can do it without having to worry. You know, I can start an animal shelter. I can do, you know, I'm vegan. I can pursue that. You know, I can do things and not have to worry about money. That, that is an incredible amount of freedom um, that we should be aiming for and not deferring life to some future event based on future occurrences and stock market returns and well, you know, da da da, da. It, It's just... And the millionaire fast lane goes into the mathematics of all this because at the bottom line, as you say in a monetary society, it's all about the mathematics. And we have an unprecedented... Opportunity to tap into mathematics that can make this happen, so instead of retiring or what I say unscripting in fifty years or forty years, you can do it in five to ten because the mathematics of wealth are more accessible to the average person, and that's um, that's one of the one of the features I really like to hit on concepts I like to hit on because very few people talk about mathematics and how important they are when it comes to wealth.
0: Can you give an example of what you mean by that?
1: You can't scale time. The narrative, the scripted narrative of wealth is to trade your time for money. And you either trade it hourly or yearly. You have a yearly sal- salary, I make $50,000 a year, or I make $50 an hour. You can't scale that. That's your time is limited to 24 hours a day, your lifespan is limited your working lifespan is probably limited to about 50. You can't scale those numbers. It's impossible. Yet, you've sold, I don't know how many books you've sold, Hal, but I'm guessing at least a million. That number can be scaled. Yeah. Uh, and this goes to anything. It doesn't have to be a book, it could be, it could be food products. You know, when people are, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the cookie, Len and Larry's. Um, Not. It's a, it's a vegan protein cookie. Yeah. I, I don't know their story, but I can guarantee you these guys are making money hand over fist. Mm-hmm. because they have a consumable product. It's on store shelves 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They can sell millions and billions of them. And, and that's what I'm talking about, scalable. When you have a business, there's certain metrics that become scalable, if it's the right business. Obviously, some businesses are still time-trades, and that's what the Millionaire Fastlane and Unscripted tries to tell you, how to avoid it and what, is better, um, what are better ventures to venture into. And it doesn't have to be internet, but the, the internet has become the default.
0: Let me ask you this, and I know you talk about this in your books, but with what you're sharing right now, I feel that you have, I'm talking about passion, there's a passion you have for entrepreneurship and the idea that it frees you from the, what you would call even slavery, and you've called it slavery in your books of working that nine to five where you have to be somewhere at a time that someone else tells you to be there and you have to do what they tell you to do, right? And I've heard that defined as modern day slavery. Like you're working mm-hmm. for money to buy food and you're doing things that someone else wants you to do, not what you want to do. In fact, you say here in the book, you weren't born to slave nine to five, Monday through Friday, pay bills and then die. When life's final moment arrives, what will your spirit sing? Regret and remorse or peace and happiness? So I want to ask you on the topic of entrepreneurship, what are your thoughts on how that relates to anyone and everyone listening? Meaning, do you think that entrepreneurship is right for some, not right for others? Do you think that some should have a nine to five job as the primary until they build a side gig that the income exceeds it, or they should have them both. Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Unfortunately, most people do not want to be entrepreneurs. They're comfortable. It's like Cypher and in the, in the Matrix. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Movie. Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, when he's, he's sitting there with the steak and goes, I know the Matrix exists and I don't care. I'm just, he's eating the steak. I want to be put in the Matrix and just have a nice life. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of people that are like that. They they don't care about, you know, but entrepreneurship is accessible for everyone. And if you are one who craves freedom, then that should be your key to obtaining freedom. You don't need, entrepreneurship is completely learnable. It's completely learnable. Hmm. So uh, if you're someone who craves freedom, someone who craves, you know, I'm not suggesting that, you know, you can work part in the pun, four hours a week and have this huge business <laughs> sure. uh, it's it's hard this is this is this is a hard career, yeah, but the benefits of this career if you even succeed you know moderately is just incredible from you know one of your questions um that uh, you were asking is what is your greatest accomplishments for me, I was thinking, you know what my greatest accomplishment feels like you know uh in this particular space is the ability just to get up out of bed when I want to get up. Mm. And it's been like that for 30 years. Because I know people who are just, I don't want the damn alarm, you know, that in itself is priceless. You can't put money on that. So, but yeah, entrepreneurship, hey, if if freedom resonates with you, you need to look into being an entrepreneur and learning that craft.
0: Yeah. And I do think that, It's not something that you have to jump off the cliff with both feet, so to speak. Something that for me, I had a sales position, which was kind of like a hybrid of entrepreneurship and you know, I set my own schedule, I worked when I wanted to, you know, no ceiling on the income kind of thing. But I kept that sense of security where I knew how to earn a consistent income while I built my business on the side. And then once my business on the side, my first ever business, I don't know what I was doing, I was twenty five, right? Once I earned enough income from that, I then was able to leave my sales position and be Purely an entrepreneur. And there have been, you know, of course, lots of ups and downs and failures and peaks and valleys. But ultimately, like you said, for me, one of my favorite words and favorite values is freedom. You know, the freedom to yes. live your life the way that you want to in any given moment. And if you're free to follow your passion. You're free to earn a great income. And I was in the hospital with cancer. I've, you know, shared this many times. And you said it earlier about the miracle morning being scalable, right? It, even when I'm sleeping, the book is still selling and I've got, you know, 13 books. They're all Earning income and impacting lives, regardless of whether or not I'm sitting behind my desk, right? And so when I was fighting cancer, I was so grateful. And it breaks my heart when I see people that aren't able to, they don't have this, but our income sustained that year and I didn't work. I just stayed in the hospital and fought cancer for a year and my wife and kids were covered. And if I would have had a job, I don't even know, you know, but it would have been really difficult. So as far as unscripted goes, there's five parts, right? And so the five parts of the book I want to dive into uh, maybe not all of these based on our time, but at least mm-hmm. a few of these. so you say in part one, I will identify the problem that has haunted you since you 've been old enough to have a job you 've sensed it, felt it, and now you fear you're living it. What is the problem that 's haunted us since we 've been old enough to have a job
1: that this isn 't what life was meant to be about hmm. it 's a dead dream it 's I get up in the morning, I go to work, I come home, I fix dinner. I go to sleep and then I repeat. Then I enjoy my Friday night and my Saturday and then my Sunday again. I am I'm feeling the absolute dread that it all starts over again. What is where does this insanity end? This mm-hmm. this this work is not meaningful to me. This work is not purposeful to me, and that's what I say is as an entrepreneur, you could be selling dog dog poop cleaning up service or something. Sure, that to me would be more passionate because it's, you know it's something I'm doing. It's something I control it's something that I could you know provide value in a little way is much more better than doing a meaningless job that you can't stand that just certainly just exists to pay the bills for the week so you can do it again next week next month and next year and then hopefully the stock market never crashes. I'll get to retire at fifty five maybe sixty if I'm lucky it's just People are waking up to the, this this insanity, um, and that's why you have a lot of you know tiny house movements. You have the fire movement. You have all these movements that are about freedom, and unfortunately, they're 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 attacking it improperly by moving one dependence to another. You know, with Wall Street being one of them, or they're doing it defensively. Defensively is, hey, I'm going to go with no health insurance. I'm going to live in a 200 square foot house. And I'm going to buy all my food at the dollar store. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's not the proper way to go at it. They're in the right neighborhood. They're just at the wrong house.
0: Sure. That's not necessarily freedom because you're actually living in the confines, right?
1: Correct. Correct. That's a, a faux freedom.
0: Well, how do you define success, MJ? Uh, freedom. Freedom. Okay.
1: Health. Okay. And a nice group of peers, friends, family. Relationships, positive relationships, which goes back to the freedom, fitness, family metric in the Millionaire Fastlane.
0: Freedom, health, relationships—that's it. I love that. I love that. That's the definition. And what's interesting is nowhere on that list. I actually had this conversation with my daughter. I think it was yesterday. She was asking me about how much money you know we earned, and she was talking about people that were really successful. This friend of ours who's very wealthy, and she goes, "Gosh, you know, they're so lucky." <laughs> and I said, Sophie, how do you define success? She goes, well, it's having a lot of money. And I go, well, what if someone has a lot of money and they're not happy? She goes, well, why wouldn't they be happy to have a lot of money? <laughs> like, right, that's a good question. <laughs> well, their money
1: would not be buying freedom. Their money would be buying probably more stuff that incurs bondage and stress.
0: Yeah, and I talked about it. I said, look, there's a lot of celebrities that turn to drugs, alcohol, and sadly, even suicide because they thought that money would buy happiness and that success and fame would buy happiness. So uh, what I love about your definition of success is that money was not in there. But obviously, I know, and just based on our conversation so far, I think anybody listening gets that money plays a part in what provides you with freedom, as we just talked yes. about, but also provides you with health. Because when I want to hear people say that, you know, oh, I, I don't buy organic and I don't, you know, because it's too expensive. That breaks my heart because that person's missing out on the freedom yeah. to put the best possible foods in their body and afford a gym membership or... Whatever else, and then ultimately relationships. I just wanted to touch on that because the number one cause of divorce—it's money, it's financial challenges, the stress that I create. So you think about everything that you you, you define success, freedom, health, and relationships, and money—at least in this monetary system. Like I'm, by the way, let me just say this, MJ. I've been really going deep into just kind of different documentaries and really understanding that this whole thing is made up, and yeah. I'm not a fan of it. And it's you—you you call it the Matrix, right? That movie was. There was so much, you know, real yeah. metaphorical truth to it that we're all living in this matrix that we've been, you know, started from the beginning. That it's this monetary system where mm-hmm. you get a job and you pay taxes to pay the people that lead the country right? and right, and you get the job and then you're fed media that then programs your mind to go buy things that you don't really need. Yep. Right? I need to look mm-hmm. like that person, so I got to get those clothes and I got to get that car to keep up with that. And I, right? it's just this vicious cycle. So. I'm a giant fan of reimagining society. Like every day, I probably at least once a day, I think about where can I go start a compound where we live off the land Mm -hmm. like they did, you know, 200 years ago. That to me is, you know, I'd want the freedom to do that and grow my own food and have relationships where, so I'm going a little bit too far down the rabbit hole maybe, but the point being that if you're listening to this, right, you know, does money buy happiness? Does money buy? Well, money eliminates the things that cause divorce, that cause poor health and Mm then take away your freedom. And that is where money is valuable. And until we move to a utopian society or we co-create that society, this is the game that we're playing, right?
1: Yeah. Freedom is damn expensive. I mean, it is insanity how much freedom costs. Uh, To ignore money's role in that equation is just juvenile. So yeah, we like to say, oh yeah, money don't buy happiness. Well, that's bullshit. Yeah. Okay. If, if money ain't helping your happiness, that means you're buying the wrong stuff. You're not using it to buy your freedom. You're not using it to buy your health. Um, you're not using it to spend more time with your kids. Uh, so it, it's it's weird that money is spent. And you know, just to just to sit around and do nothing all day, quote retire, yeah, is expensive. I mean, health insurance, uh, payroll tax, and payroll tax. Uh, you know, property taxes, food. I mean, and it just keeps going up and
0: up. Yeah, it absolutely does. And to your point, I've heard lots of quotes, some of them kind of flip it, but they say money doesn't buy happiness, but neither does poverty, right? So then mm-hmm. definitely, I want to hear your thoughts real quick on what I was just talking about, which is like our society as it is, I'd love to hear what's your opinion on the monetary system that we all have been born into. And so we think it's normal. But it's really not normal. It's all just made up, right? It's just made up. We've been fed that this is important and that yeah. is important, and that, but it doesn't exist in nature.
1: I don't know what part, how deep you are into unscripted, but I get into this a little bit, not too much.
0: I must not be there yet.
1: Yeah. You'll, based on the way you're talking right now, you're going to really enjoy it. <laughs> Love it. I'm excited. I'm excited. But, but it's basically a scam, uh, but it, it's yeah. a scam we have to abide by. Yeah, uh, you know, you can't just you can't just walk away from it because it is what it is. But the the fact of the matter is we all we're all slaves and we're all been collateralized uh, for our for our labor and consumption and our taxation. Uh, you didn't mention that you're stamped with a barcode the minute you the minute you're born. You're stamped with a barcode, except the barcode isn't on your forehead; it's on your birth certificate, and it's called a social security number. Mm. And all this is to collateralize you into a debt slave who will help fund the monetary system. Um, Hopefully, the way they want you to fund the monetary system, which means go to college and spend $100,000 in debt and get a worthless degree so you're stuck working for the next 50 years to pay for it. Gee, that's the perfect slave that they're trying to create. Um, And I'm trying to say, teach people how to get out of this rat race. You still have to play the game, but there's a, there's a way to play it where you don't have to participate in it to the to the degree they want you to participate in it. And that's, uh, in a nutshell, what a lot of Unscripted is about. Uh, the bulk of the book is about starting a business, but the initial portions of it go into this paradigm that we have to operate within. Um, that it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, think about it. You're educated Monday through Friday for 18 years. So you can be educated to work for the next 50 years, Monday through Friday. Yeah. Oh yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah.
0: And I feel your book and Millionaire Fastlane did this too, but this one you've taken to the next level. It does feel like an unplugging from the matrix of a bit where you realize, you kind of realize in order for you to play the game in the way that is the best for you and your family, the game of life, the game, you know, this monetary system we're part of, you, you really have to understand it because we're literally in the matrix, right? Throughout life, like until you're unplugged, and you start looking at it, you go, I never realized that I was living this way and that this is how things work. And then once you do, uh, at first it's really stressful, right? <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> you first start learning, you're like, oh my God, what? I can't believe this is, the, I'm part of this and that, you know, and, and I didn't even realize it. And then you have to start to kind of make peace with it.
1: I mean, and, it's frustrating. I paid yeah. cash for my house, seven figure house. Cash. I don't pay the property taxes. It's gone. <laughs> and, and that's, you know.
0: So you don't even, have, you don't fully own it.
1: The property tax is a lease to the state. When I stop paying that $8,000 a month or a year, excuse me. Yeah. In three months, it will be gone. All the money I paid for it will be gone because it's a lease. I don't own it. It's a, it's, and that's part of this. I mean, i don't go in that Too deeply
0: because that's a whole different book. I know, I know Like, how far are we going right now? Uh, How far should we? uh, Yeah, I mean, it's
1: just this is the system you have. Let's learn how to win within that system.
0: Yeah, let's leave it at that. I could go further down the rabbit hole, but let's leave it at that. This book will teach you how to win in this system, how to create a life of freedom, of health, and of relationships. Goal achievers, so I encourage you to check it out. Grab this book, Unscripted. Uh, I had started reading it when you sent it to me, MJ, and then it got put on my shelf, and I pulled it back out, and I realized this is the book I'm diving into until it's done because I know how phenomenal you are at writing and at sharing ideas that are really almost hidden in a way that once we learn these ideas, we become liberated. We become free. Yep. So thank you for the work that you're doing, my friend.
1: You bet, man. appreciate it.
0: And it was good talking to you. This will be the first of a... Are you working on another book, by the way? I got to know that.
1: Uh, yeah. Actually, Unscripted is a three-part series. So So that's part one.
0: And then you got two more. Oh, wow.
1: I got two more. Uh, I own the trademark on Unscripted. And so we're going to do three of them. One of them is going to be fiction, uh, fictional story. So uh, again, this is one of your, you know, follow your passion. I can write, I can just go off script and just write a book. that's a business book, but it's entirely fiction. You know, a story about an entrepreneur who's struggling, a story of someone who's discovering that the system is not designed for dreams, it's designed for dependence. So, um, I'm excited about that, I'm passionate about it, and I can do it because I have no one to answer to.
0: That's beautiful. You have the freedom. So, there's something I'll, I'll mention to you right now. I'm just planting the seed, but I've recently felt called to form what you might call an alliance of conscious messengers, of people that are. Conscious and aware and sharing their message in a way that can elevate the consciousness of others. I feel like, you know, there's so many of us, I mean, thousands and thousands, when I say us, you know, authors, entrepreneurs, speakers that are out there with messages, but we're all kind of disjointed, right? We're all running our own races. And I want to bring us all together and ask the question what does the world need from us? What does humanity need to wake up? And anyway, if you're open to it, I'm going to add you to that list and hopefully get us all together uh, at some point in 2020.
1: Oh, that sounds exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll reach back out uh, you know, once I uh, have more details and more clarity. So... All right, man. Well, appreciate you, my brother. And uh, we will uh, look forward to talking to you uh, again soon.
1: All right, man. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: You got it. You got it. Well, Goal Achievers, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. My first conversation that was not via text or email with uh, MJ DeMarco, who I love and appreciate and respect and really value his wisdom. And I, I think you're going to love his new book, if you love it anywhere close to as much as I loved his first book. And I'm already enjoying the new one, Unscripted Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Entrepreneurship, available on Amazon, I believe, in all formats. So until next time, thank you for being a listener to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. It really, really means a lot to me. And uh, we might be renaming it in the new year. I've been toying with that, but I'm highly indecisive. And so uh, I've got a handful of ideas and I'm not sure which one we're going to land on. But either way, uh, it'll be me. The Podcast will continue. And uh, it's an honor to share this space with you. Love you. Appreciate you. And I will talk to you next week. Everybody take care.